It's like also very very Iowan language too. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> Your mom made Jex mix. You want to come home to heaven? <laughs> Welcome back to No Script, an unscripted conversation about theater's best scripts. I'm Jacob Mann Christensen. And I am Jackson Nikolai. Thank you all for tuning back in to another episode. We're really excited to be here. We're excited to be here every week, and this is no exception. And one of the reasons we're excited about this week and this episode is that now in season four, we are coming to this playwright for a fourth time. Fourth time? There's only one other playwright that we've done four times, and that's Lynn Nottage, who we do at the beginning of every season, or at least every season so far. But this playwright has made her way up into our most frequently talked about playwrights, and that is the uh, wonderful, popular Sarah Rule. Yeah, this this is no surprise to anyone listening that we've done Sarah Rule this many times. So many of her plays are so excellent. We've done uh, three of them in the past, and we're moving on to this one, which is For Peter Pan on Her 70th Birthday by Sarah Rule. Yeah, this is the newest of her plays that's in popular circulation, and... Just a just a delightful script. Oh man. Yeah, it really is. It's just it's just like kind of wholesome in a way. It's like it's it's nice. We'll, we'll get into the details of it, but this play is not the only reason to be excited this week. We wanted to share another bit of exciting news with all of you, and that is that we have another producer over on our Patreon. Thank you, Brennan Sauer. Uh, I hope I'm saying your last name correctly. Thank you for becoming a patron over there at the producer level. This is just such a huge honor to have these this group of people. We've been able to announce a couple of different names now of people that have joined our patrons at the producer level. We have lots of other patrons who've joined at the other levels, and we're excited for everybody over there. A big thank you to all of our supporters, but this week we want to take a moment to say a special thank you to Brennan. Yeah, so thank you for that. And if any of you want to check out our Patreon, you can go over over to patreon.com slash noscriptpodcast. Whether you are just now tuning in for the first time or have been listening all along all the seasons and are just looking for a way to contribute to the podcast, you can head over there. And the, the, the folks over there are helping us keep this podcast going. We There are some operating expenses involved. There's the fees for uh, scripts and such that, that, uh, that are accrued as well as a considerable time commitment for all of us. So... Those folks over at Patreon are ensuring that we continue being able to do this podcast. So thank you to everyone who has already headed over there. And uh, to the rest of you, we will see you over at patreon.com slash Podcast. And now, back to the script. Back to the script. Hey, you got it back this time. I know. This week it was mine again. <laughs> I don't have to do the Smeagol voice. <laughs> uh, for Peter Pan on her 70th birthday, this was originally produced as part of the Humana Festival at the Actors Theater of Louisville. This is Whoa. a festival that comes up uh, has come up already a couple of times in our conversations. It's a, just a great place to discover scripts. Uh, getting the anthology that is produced as a result of the Humana Festival each year is a really awesome place to find scripts that are brand new, that are just out of development, that are really, really remarkable. And so it's no surprise that such a remarkable script came out of the Humana Festival. Uh, That was directed by Les Waters. It then went out to the Berkeley Rep Theater. It had a couple of regional theater productions. Notably, its Chicago premiere was at the Shattered Globe Theater. And what is especially memorable about this production in Chicago 
is that Kathleen Rule, who is Sarah Rule's mother, played Anne, or the number one, we'll talk about the characters in a minute, but that is the character based on Sarah Rule's mother. So Sarah Rule's mother played a version of Sarah Rule's mother (laughs) in a production of this show in Chicago. Is that not absolutely wild? And just like so wholesome in a way, just just lovely. <laughs> <laughs> what a beautiful thing that that can happen as a result of something like theater and, and a play like this. It was uh, New York premiere was at Playwrights Horizon again, directed by Les Waters. And the regional theater scene has loved and embraced this play. Just as I was looking for clips, as I often do in preparation for the recording, I found lots of little clips from lots of little theaters doing productions of this show, and, and so that was especially fun. Rule in the uh, the introduction to the script that she wrote in the in, she wrote in the version of the script that I have she wrote that she developed this play as a gift play and when she teaches playwriting apparently she teaches her students or she has her students write a play as a gift and it's she's trying to teach something about the gift economy of art and, and of theater. And so she wrote this as a gift play for her mother, who played Peter Pan for a number of years when she was younger. And, of course, the protagonist character in this show has played Peter Pan when she was younger. And now they're all old, her and all her siblings. But that's into the synopsis. So I'll turn yeah, it over to yeah. Jackson at that point. You're stealing just a little bit of my thunder, but that's okay. <laughs> it's fine. No, th- but that's absolutely true. This play, like, that's one of the, the more endearing, touching parts of this play is that it's a play written for her family in a way. This play is set, uh, uh, one of the places that it is set in is uh, in Iowa in the Midwest. She draws a lot of influence from there. Um, however, the the beats of this play... Um, Move move pretty quickly between five movements. There are no acts in this play. It takes a movement structure. Um, and the main characters are, I'll list them off here. There's Anne, who is uh, between 60 and 70. And she is the one who uh, played Peter Pan when she was growing up, which I'll get to in just a moment. Uh, there's John in his late 60s, Jim in his mid-60s, Michael in his early 60s, and Wendy in her late 50s. And these are all siblings of one family, five siblings of the same family. The story takes place, as I said, over five movements, starts in a theater with a bit of a monologue about uh, from Anne about uh, kind of some, some of her, her history and the family's history, but then we move pretty quickly into a hospital room. And uh, what, we, what we follow throughout the play is these five siblings saying good goodbye to their father to their father who is dying of cancer at like 80 years old they, there's like a, a stage direction that makes it clear he's lived a very long life this is not like unexpected they're there to say goodbye um the first or the second movement of the play uh takes place in that hospital room they eventually uh their father dies they say goodbye to him in one way or another in that scene and then we progress to a, a wake a proper irish wake um where uh, <laughs> <laughs> including the whiskey <laughs> including the whiskey where eventually throughout the night these five siblings are all talking together getting progressively more and more intoxicated but uh remembering their father and their childhood and talking as as families do in what we're going to get into it but in some really nice scenes where they just kind of ping pong around a ton of different topics uh around what the family would talk about then the real turn happens (laughs) and we we hit movement four which is a journey to neverland um 
we'll unwrap that a little bit. (laughs) 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 But it's not necessarily, I mean, I suppose there's some interpretation. It's not necessarily the siblings all going to Neverland. Instead, we kind of get a little little scene from a Neverland play. We'll get into that. Trust me, it's worth it. And then... uh, And then the final epilogue movement is a is a short scene back in the past between Anne and her father, George. George is a character who I have not uh, introduced other than to say that he dies in movement too, but he continues throughout the play to show up, popping up in different scenes in kind of like a ghost-like capacity. So... Those are the, those are the big beats of the play. That's what we're moving through. Is this this family of five and their father, um, in ghost form or physical form, uh, just moving through the grief stages of saying goodbye to to their dad. That's right. So if you've read the script and you're hearing Jackson say five movements, you might be a little bit confused because the script is written as movement one, two, and three with a prologue and an epilogue. So there are five scenes if we wanted to use more standard theatrical language but rule is pretty attached to this this way of dividing plays that she calls movements and so it's a it's a prologue and an epilogue and then three major movements the prologue and epilogue are quite a bit shorter than any of the movements and are just a monologue basically uh, on either side of the play you said in your description that the play is set somewhat in Iowa a lot of the play is set in Iowa And then it's also set in Neverland, which is that third (laughs) movement. But it's not... It's it's an imagined Neverland, or or that's not the right word. Not imagined, but created. Right? We're not supposed to be transported into some sort of realistic Neverland with you know grass and and really specific set dressings that make us look like we're on an island. Right? This is a sort of homespun Neverland. Yeah, yeah, it's it's like um it's like an imagination. It's pretend Neverland. These uh, I mean these 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 characters are all in their late 60s, mid 60s, etc. And these they're, they're playing pretend kind of in this scene. Um and the, and the 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 setting directions for it uh kind of talk about it being you know, almost like projection images of of Neverland, or like uh, uh, backlit sheets that show some images of of uh, like the Jolly Roger is called for. You want to see the ship in the background, so things that set you in a place. But you're right; it's not. I don't. I don't read it as really specifically. We're supposed to realistically be transported to Neverland. In fact, they walk there in That's the scene. Right. <laughs> so what a, what a great moment! And, and so. What what happens is that the the all these old siblings, these five siblings that are now uh, in their fi- late fifties to late sixties, they play out an uh, altered version of the classic Peter Pan story. So, in very basic plot, you, you know, Peter's there. He wakes Wendy up. He's lost his shadow. He convinces all of the siblings to 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 get Tinkerbell's fairy dust, and they're gonna go to Neverland. In in the Peter Pan story, we all know and love. Of course, they would fly there, but they've they've lost the ability to fly for some reason. I'm sure we'll we'll have some discussions about the ways in which it's altered. But eventually, they do get to Neverland. They confront Captain Hook. They, there's all kinds of there's different sword fights throughout. Peter is killed just 
just as he is or or slash just as he is in the story he even delivers the old uh to die would be an awfully big adventure line delightfully and, late though yes <laughs> quite quite late almost as if she's forgotten the line and but all of the different adjustments to the story that we know and love throughout or or many of them at least deal with the age of the people trying to play these roles now right or yeah yeah the, the, i mean the there's 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 all sorts of things that begin cropping up um uh throughout the scene there's there's mentions of kind of panic attacks that come from traveling to neverland uh there's 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 the mention of of the the fear that they're specifically overcoming uh, is is similar to the you know the J M Barry Peter Pan which is that they don't want to grow up really some of their conversation in the previous scene which we'll get to eventually uh, is around that theme like what is growing up when is when am I grown up I don't really want to be grown up no I really want to be grown up one of the brothers would say um, and 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 it's just a fascinating difference of perspective from 60-year-old characters. Yeah, it's magical, isn't it? I mean, Peter Pan is a story about all of these children who don't want to grow up. They never want to grow up. They want to live the way that they are as kids. Peter is this classic, I'm going to be the way that I am forever. But they're children. How yeah. magical is it to have these old people, grandparents... Look at each other in tights and bedclothes as lost boys and girls and have them say, I don't want to grow up. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and 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 to then lay on the extra the extra weight to they name Captain Hook when, when Peter Pan comes back and he's fighting and there's a big victorious moment, and as Peter Pan has risen back from the dead after the clapping of the audience and all that grand stuff, uh, they name Captain Hook as death. And, and that they're fighting against death. So it almost like adds in this other layer, too, that growing up is equating death for them to some degree. That, that same kind of fear of death is, 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 uh, is around that character of Hook for them. Right. In fact, the play pretty strongly associates this idea of growing up with dying in a way that the the original Peter Pan story doesn't quite. It more associates growing up with sort of getting these adult responsibilities and having to become boring. Right. But for these people who are old, who are approaching the end of their life, who've just watched their father die, and the, the, the gal that ends up being Peter Pan that was Peter Pan as a child, she's already lost a husband. These are people who've seen life end, and for them the idea of growing up has a different association, not just being boring, but the association of death. Right. Yeah. And, and it's, and it's fresh for them, right? Like so, some of this is born out of, so, so many, many family plays have this dark secret that is kind of brought out, uh, via, via, uh, a, either a tragic moment or copious amounts of alcohol. Um, that, does, that doesn't, <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't really seem to be fully the theme here. It's more this, this shared fear that is dredged up by this, this seeing their being in the room when their father passes away. And, and and then drinking copious amounts of alcohol. There, there's copious amounts of alcohol involved in the show. There's just no dark secret. Right, right. But But you're right. You're right to point out that the reason why probably 
partially the reason why we've said so many things like heartwarming and wholesome so far is that this is a family that's largely functional. Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, they reflect on things that have been hard. They reflect on, you know, you were the youngest, so I felt like you were treated in this way, or I never grow up to be this way, or, you, you know, we know you're the smartest. Why you always get to speed? There's, there's tensions that come from a life lived together, mm-hmm. but there's not some sort of deep and infested rot right like you find in august osage county or whatever <laughs> that's what was at the front of my mind too was like there's there's no like uh, kitchen table scene necessarily in this one there's in the in the uh well, there's forward, a kitchen table scene in there it. is but <laughs> not not the level of nefarious that the one i in don't the, think anybody in, gets punched in this one <laughs> right <laughs> There's a delightful line in the foreword of my play. uh, It's a quote from Sarah Rule, and she says, I've started to feel that putting a moment of gentleness on stage is a radical political act. And I feel like that's a lot of what this play does, is it puts these moments of gentleness around family on stage. And I, I mean, I was... Uh, uh, refreshed, refreshed, and and kind of just flat out surprised, you know, by the end of the that 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 middle movement where they're all uh, hanging out together, you know, the worst thing that happens is one of them has to play hook. So, <laughs> well, look, I tell you what, if you read the prologue and Act One and Act Two, and then you just set the play down. You might go, did I just read a Sarah Rule play? <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's a ghost in it, but right. but. Until you reach Act Three, this is a, a very standard setup and and dialogue exchanges, and it's very realist in a lot of ways, absent the ghost. But mm-hmm. you're, when you were doing the synopsis, I think you said, and then it takes a turn, <laughs> and Act Three is a little bit of a turn from the rest of the play, but not in a. I don't know. It's it wasn't shocking to me. I didn't feel like I was pulled into something that I wasn't prepared for. Mm-hmm. I agree. Like, it, it, and maybe it's to some degree familiarity with the the type of playwriting that Sarah Rules do, Rule does. But I was like, you know, the scene hits, and you're like, okay, here, here we go. Um, <laughs> but this I is think, rule. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I wonder though if walking into this play completely blind, if that would be the same reaction, because. There is there is a moment in me where I'm beginning to I'm wondering, at least for the first couple scenes of the Neverland story, am I in Neverland now or am I in a replay of the high school production that Anne was in or but but the brothers and sisters weren't in that production. So there is a little bit of I experienced at least a little bit of puzzlement in that scene to begin with. Um but eventually you you go along for the ride i think and and you figure out where you're supposed to where you're supposed to direct your attention right you're absolutely right that this play is a study in the audience will accept what you give them there's not <laughs> yeah. a lot of context given to what is happening when movement 3 or act 3 whatever occurs and suddenly we're doing the peter pan story Right. Uh, there's a little bit of setup. The ghost, which is the father, ha- brings on a trunk, and we've already heard through very normal family dialogue and 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 backstory revealing for Sarah Rule that uh, you know she used to play <laughs> Peter Pan, and everybody used to go see it, her do it all the time. And there's this heartwarming story, which is apparently a true story about uh, the uh, from Sarah Rule's mother, a true story from her life about an actress coming to see her. So we already know that. Peter Pan has been part of their life a lot. 
And then so then the ghost brings on this trunk at the end of movement two, and it's got her Peter Pan clothing in it. And mm-hmm. so she she puts it on and, and then starts the play Peter Pan. There's not a lot of context given to what is actually occurring. I think there's maybe some clues if you cared enough to really decide what is in in reality happening. The first clue is that immediately prior to the beginning of the Peter Panther, so this is the end of movement two, she says, we all went to sleep in our childhood beds that night. Mm-hmm. So everybody's asleep. So what does that lend itself to? A dream, right? Yeah. This is some sort of dream. That's also set up in movement one, the youngest of the character of the siblings, uh, Wendy, who, who ends up playing Wendy in the Peter Pan show. That's a little bit convenient for me, naming the characters <laughs> after the characters in the Peter Pan show, but her name is Wendy. <laughs> and she says that she used to think flying was real or some such thing because she would see her oldest sister, about 10 years older than her, in Peter Pan all the time. And now whenever she has dreams, she has these flying dreams, and it's dreaming of being in Peter Pan with Anne, the oldest daughter who is Peter Pan. So that's set up very early in the show, too, that dreaming the Peter Pan story is part of the life of at least this one of the siblings. Yeah, yeah, and 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 throughout the play, there's 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 so much like little finessey uh, 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 clues and hints that throughout the play. I think you're right in saying that this is. I mean, it's it's a fairly uh, comparatively straightforward way to kind of reveal things about these characters from their past. It is nonetheless masterful, though. Like it's 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 still like the slow reveal where you piece together little pieces. There's a beautiful scene in the hospital room where they're watching uh, uh, old footage, like home video footage of their family, and you learn so much in just like a. Uh, like two paragraphs basically of conversation between them about their, their, their family history. Yeah. I want to correct myself. Uh, it's not the youngest daughter that has, that has the dreams of flying. It's, it's the middle child, Jim, who ends up playing Captain. Ah. I I named the wrong character. Sure. Um, Sure. So, you know, if you, if you decided like you wanted to be, uh, so specific that you had to figure out exactly what what was actually happening when Movement 3 comes around. I suppose one thing you could imagine is that it's a dream. Um, I don't know. Part of Sarah Rule's magic, though, is that there's some mystery to it all. What's yeah. going on? I don't know. There are all yeah. these old people, and they're putting on Peter Pan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. And And there's the interesting bit that it ends with a pretty real moment. Um, the, the dream ends with them one by one remembering that they have uh, families and lives to go back to. Each of the siblings besides Anne um, has this moment, because Anne is Peter Pan, um, each, of these, each of the siblings uh, realizes that they need to go home, and one by one they, they leave. And the, the line becomes more blurred towards the end of the dream, I feel like. And and you begin to that's 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 the point where all my questions come back again. It's like, wait, <laughs> what was happening? They're, they're talking. They're talking about their house and and oh oh wow, <laughs> where are we? <laughs> yeah. So at the end of putting on the Peter Pan play, they've all finally now been able to fly. They're. I don't know their age or the fact that they grew up or something has prevented them from flying prior to this. So they walked Neverland, as we've mentioned before. Right. But now right. they're flying. And in fact, the Hook has been resurrected and reformed. reformed and he's pirate. flying with them. And they're flying the Jolly Roger. 
Um, which, you know, it, again, we're not imagining like a real version of Neverland. The stage directions call for us to use uh, the room to put on sort of a homespun version. So Sarah Rule suggests maybe they're on the bed and that is the Jolly Roger or whatever. But they're flying around and they try to go back to the home, not the home in London that the children in Peter Pan are from, but the home in Davenport, Iowa, that this group of siblings is actually from. And they discover that they've sold the house. Their father, the house that they grew up in where the dad has died, and they've decided to sell the house, so they, they can't get into the house anymore. And this is what causes what Jackson described. One by one, they slowly wake up, and they they realize that they need to go back to their normal lives. If this were the original Peter Pan, this would be sort of distressing. Uh, right. That right, we now we have to grow up. Oh no! But that's not really the tone. Not really. No. No. You kind of get the feeling that these people have important people in their lives, and and they're leaving. There there isn't even like a huge dramatic tantrum from Peter Pan at the end of the play. He's sad, or Anne is sad that they're leaving. But but just eventually they're like, we'll come back maybe for holidays or something. We'll, we'll see you soon. And they begin to kind of wander off. Yeah, these are some of the things that they say when they re- sort of realize that they need to grow up. Um, uh, the the youngest child, Wendy, who is numbered by five. At some point, we should get to the fact that she we'll get numbers to that. Yeah, the yeah. characters. Uh, the youngest da- uh, a sibling, she says, um, there are people back at home who are sad, who need me, and my husband and my two kids, they need me. And three says that he needs to go back to cutting cancer out of people's bodies, and he has grandchildren. He's a surgeon, but he, he also has grandchildren who he likes to hold. And two recalls that he has students, and he wants to see his wife because he and she want to grow old together. They actually want to grow old together. Uh, Four says he has patience and and children. And, And then Peter Pan meets her father. George returns at the end of Act Three and she's, this is, again, this is now, we start to get fuzzy about what's been going on because Peter yep. Pan says, now she's back in Davenport Children's Theater. She's she's doing the show now. She's sort of reliving it. She sees her father. Her father brings her a uh, a bouquet of flowers and he asks her to come home with him. He says, we're going to go back to 111, which is the, the street address of their home that they grew up in in Davenport. There's going to be checks party mix that mother made for her. Uh, the sibling's mother, George's wife, died many years ago before the start of the play. Uh, he says that uh, we're, gonna, we're all going to miss you, but it's going to be an awfully big adventure. Mm-hmm. Huh. Ah. <laughs> Where have we heard... Awfully big adventure in connection with uh, Mr. Peter Pan. <laughs> yeah. It's when he dies. Uh-huh. So here's my question for you, Jackson. Do you think Anne dies at the end of this play? Hmm. Uh, that's a great question. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I don't know. I mean, it's not in the script. It doesn't say she dies or anything like that. But I'm right, wondering right. if that's not what Rule's aiming us towards. Yeah, I mean, certainly this is this is kind of a moment where she she's uh, you know she's she's seen the she's seen the ghost she's recognized the ghost in the previous scene and this scene scene she's interacting with the ghost and 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 this and so if if you keep George in ghost category that's that's a pretty reasonable 
uh, a guess at the end of the play is that you know Anne is somehow dead. Um, I, I wonder if I wonder if uh, I'm I'm in in saying that though I'm trying to give a little bit too much constraint to to a scene that is kind of trying to communicate. Um, almost like in something beyond like another dimension it feels like <laughs> like it feels it feels like George shows up uh kind of as a ghost and imparts some even to the point that um Peter Pan says I'm suddenly afraid did you die what was it like your breathing was terrible it seemed like you didn't want to go was it awful right so uh, why ask that question right yeah but she's afraid but what's she afraid of mm-hmm. well if that follows up with did you die what yeah. was it like? Now, it's worth noting that Sarah Rule tells us a little bit about George in her character description and notes in movement one, he's a dying man. That's the hospital room. Movement two, he's a ghost. We've talked about him as a ghost. Uh, we, we actually haven't described what happens much, but he's a ghost in act two, and none of the characters can see him. But then she says in movement three, he's himself. Yeah. So Sarah Rule has created some distinction for us between the ghost George and the himself George of Movement 3. What is that distinction? I don't know. It's kind of Rulian. It's 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 sort of hard to know. (laughs) (laughs) But one option might be in the afterlife, you're not a ghost, right? When you're Mm -hmm. with other afterlifean people, you're just yourself. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Here's here's another reason why I think, Peter, another clue to the is is Anne dying. Uh, George says, come on now, change your costume." And there's some exchange back and forth. And then finally in the epilogue, she reveals that she has changed her costume. She's not sure she wants to change her costumes. Earlier in the play, there's a long exchange about what is the afterlife? Is there one? Some of the characters are atheists. Some have held on to their Catholic religion. And there's some discussion about, well, if, you know, why do we have religion? Well, what, how do we explain the afterlife without religion? Well, what is the afterlife? What is dying like? Are you afraid of dying? Yes, I'm afraid of dying. But the youngest daughter, Number five, Wendy, says that she's not afraid of dying. She thinks it's going to be just like changing your clothes. Yeah. So that's set up for us. (laughs) And then is it potentially paid off here at the end? Is Peter Pan going to change her clothes? Yeah. You're you're swaying me. I'm feeling swayed. (laughs) But... But, like, I have so many more questions now, though. Like, what is she dying? How is she dying? When is this? Um, Yeah, well, that's... (laughs) Right. Right. I mean, how soon... If if it's true that Rule is trying to imagine that Anne's passing, Mm -hmm. uh, how long is this after George died? Right. Who knows? Long enough that they've sold the house, right? Because at the conclusion of Movement 2... Uh, which is just after the wake, there's no mention of them having sold the house up till that point. We only learn about that right. late in Movement 3 when they reveal that they can't go home. So some time has passed because they've mm-hmm. had time to clean up the house, get it ready for sale, make the sale. So if if we're looking for clues about timeline, that's perhaps the only one. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 true. I think I think you're right. That that it, that would kind of tie that together because it doesn't really make sense to just like take the we all slept in our childhood beds that night and go right to the dream unless um, and have the house. If you're trying to reconcile a timeline, it doesn't make sense that there's a line about the house in there. Um you you have to take a jump in time if you want to try to reconcile that 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 time jump in there. So so <laughs> I'm I'm liking it. I'm liking it more. I don't <laughs> and uh, of course who knows, right? Yeah, and, and right. We're, uh, 
the problem with rule oftentimes is that she, she's so hard to pin down that mm-hmm. when you end up having, well, is this happening? You just sort of end up going, maybe in our production it is. Right, right. <laughs> and it will add that that extra weight. But then the other nice thing is, is again, it's like a, I, I think I've said this about her plays before. Her plays are often like a, a form of poetry. And so you can bring a lot of experience to the lines that are, are happening and get something completely different out of it. Like, it's very possible for me, as I as I admit, probably did, read this as just like, oh, touching memory of childhood interaction with father coming back to memory now. And and that will still be a meaningful experience when you watch it on stage. But but I, I did, I'm just like wanting to go back and read this a third time now and pick out all the clues as to what might be wrong with Anne. Yeah, and and who knows if this is supposed to be like a specific this is what happens to Anne over the course of her life to get her to the point where she eventually dies. The play is about growing up, right? And the mm-hmm. siblings associate for us the connection between growing up and dying. And the play is also about dying. And so at the conclusion the characters realize they must grow up and growing up one day means that you must die. And right. this is what occurs at the end of a life. And it's, it's a life that is celebrated that there's, there's very little uh, heartache and pain in the show in some sort of deep accusatory way. The pain is that, that pain of losing a parent uh, even into your old age and the shared pain of that among a family, but in a, in, you know, in that supportive loving way. Mm-hmm. To the point that even the last scene, the the, the epilogue scene, gives you this kind of bright light of like, oh, and also theater rocks. <laughs> uh- <laughs> yeah, well, that's the other thing the play is about, right? Is is the magic of theater? Yeah. That yep. when a when a the script says she's in her late sixties, when a woman in her late sixties puts on green tights and says she's Peter Pan, the boy who never grows up. By golly, she's Peter Pan, the boy who <laughs> yep. never grows up. That's the theater. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> it's magic. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's it's a delightful way to end it. I'm going to take uh, kind of a hard pivot because uh, we, we I do want to, we've alluded a couple times to a kind of fascinating uh, writing pattern in this play um, that's around uh, how Sarah Rule has chosen to name the characters in the script. And to, to the point that both Jacob and I have uh, misquoted a character once or twice so far in this episode, it's easy to do because the characters are all numbered in this play <laughs> throughout the whole play. <laughs> One through five. That's right. So there's five siblings and George, and this is all of the play prior to movement three. Um, in movement three, the, and we're, what we're talking about is the character names that mm-hmm. appear to tell you who is speaking. Uh, sometimes I've heard them called dialogue prompts. Who's, whose dialogue is this? Is this? And so in the script, and as it is in many scripts, you know, the character name appears above the piece of dialogue. But above the piece of dialogue in the prologue and uh, movements one and two is just a number. Yep. (laughs) One through five, oldest to youngest, Anne, John, Jim, Michael, and Wendy. And then Mm -hmm. in movement three, they take on their roles in Peter Pan, and then they're listed by uh, role in the show. Uh, So Peter, uh, uh, John, again, John, and uh, Hook, and Michael, and Wendy. Mm-hmm. Now, now, what this does is is lean even harder, I think, into Sarah Rule, like writing writing a piece of of literature of 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 written art, because there's there's this is not drawn. Uh, 
the attention is not drawn to this feature in the play itself. It's not like you enter the play and people are calling each other one, two, three, four, two, four to, to communicate. They're using their real names. This would go completely over an audience's head. This is uh, instead completely for the reader, completely for a person sitting down and reading this play and for the production team to try to, to justify uh, why it's there. Right. It's an interesting convention as part of the reading experience. Um, I may quibble with, is it for the reader? I'm not <laughs> sure. I, I, I'm not actually totally sure what Sarah Rule is attempting to tell, I think what you said, the production team. The, if, if you're going to produce this play and you pick up the script and the siblings are numbered rather than named – what what is that about? What 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 would that tell you? How would that make it into your production? Well, you have to start looking, I think, a little bit. And here's one of the things that I noticed: uh, both the prologue and the epilogue are delivered by number one, who is Anne. Uh, she's Peter Pan, and this is the character based on Rule's mother. In the prologue, the character is titled as one. Then the, the whole show happens, right? So movement one, movement two, everybody's numbered except for George the father who doesn't have a number. Movement three, the characters are named by their names in the Peter Pan show. But then when they leave the show and return to their grown-up lives, that moment we've talked about where they say, I've got to go back and do this, I've got to go back and do this, they return to their numbered parts. And in fact, the stage direction even says something like uh, they go back to being number two, three, four, and five. Number one does not. She remains Peter Pan through the end of that movement and into the epilogue, the character is titled Peter Pan. So that Mm -hmm. has to mean something, right? That's a communication somehow about the essence of the character and who the character is from the beginning, the, the journey of one Peter Pan from the beginning to the end of the show. She begins the show as one. She ends the show as Peter Pan. There's something said there to an actor. Mm-hmm. I think, I absolutely. I think that's absolutely true. I think there's also something said to a director in the numbering of these of these characters. And it's that kind of, it's it's something that you get from reading it when you're kind of, conf- so I'll, I'll just tell the story of how I read the play. I picked it up and I, and I started engaging with it. I was like, I can't keep track of who's talking. I want to like write the names of these characters next to the numbers. I'm having a hard time here. And then I was like, just stick with it. Just, just hang in there. <laughs> Make it a couple, like make it to page ten, and by page ten, with some flipping back and forth to the character list to be sure I knew who I was picturing, I had assimilated to to the the vernacular of these characters, and what that what that did for me at least was really uh, create in my mind this feeling of family, this this uh, this this banter back and forth, this kind of ebb and flow of family where it doesn't. To some degree, it's it the the memory around family. It's not as important who says it until it is, <laughs> until someone says something wrong, and then then everyone pounces on that person. But there's this flow that happens uh, with with family, and for a reader, and if I were to approach it as a director, that just made it really visceral right away. Like I, I, I after I not right away at page ten. At page ten, I started experiencing it as this family unit that just flows back and forth. And 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 the the dialogue just kind of flows out of them, and 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 what was probably a pretty unique experience, probably a one of a kind reading experience for me. Yeah, I think you're right on with this. That 
and and Sarah Rule actually talks about this that in both the introduction to the script and through the stage directions a little bit to the reader. She mentions that what she's tried to do in creating these one through five sequences of dialogue between these siblings is create the rhythm, the music, the patter of a long-time family, especially a long-time group of siblings, talking to each other. Now, I don't come from a very large family. I have two siblings. Uh, but my wife comes from a very large family. She is one of six girls. And when we go back for holidays of or for whatever to see them or when they come to us, there is... Uh, <laughs> there's a sense of everything is moving as part of a whole when they're talking. When right. any number of them are talking to each other, but especially when all of them are talking, when we're all at family dinner or whatever, the way the dialogue moves is a rhythm. There's a music, there's a patter of large families to it. And the numbering, I think, is a really interesting way to help that experience along. You said it makes the number part of the whole rather than so specifically individually, you know, character oriented. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And it and it fades you into a or it makes you assume a role of familiarity of familiarity that the characters have for each other as well. Um, it, it kind of demands you to to get to get with the program so that you can figure out what's going on quicker. Of course, um, then it, it also associates them with each other. What was interesting to me, and I, I don't know if Rule really intended this or not. I, I suspect she did. She's brilliant. Um, but if, when you number them according to age, the other thing that you're always seeing is you're always seeing on the page their relationship. Right. Mm -hmm. And the relationship yeah. is I'm older than you or you're younger than me. And that comes up a number of times in the conversation, the way that age order and age in life has affected the relationships between these siblings. So that's a very interesting part of the numbering system, too. It's not random. There's yeah. a power structure to it. There's a hierarchy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And over and over you're reminded of it, especially like uh, the, the Wendy brings it up a bunch. Wendy and, and Jim bring it up, I think, the most of the siblings, their position in the family as like the last one who was around or the one in the middle who had two on either side of him. Um, and, and yeah, I agree that that, that hierarchical structure always uh, right there in front of the reader's eyes is is, is really Really fascinating. I, I also want to cir circle back around to what you were talking about, though, from the, the journey from one to Peter Pan um, uh, and, and that aspect. I, I think that's 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 an intriguing idea that what what is what is kind of left aside by the end of the I mean, maybe we're going back to the the, <laughs> the maybe she's dying at the end of the play narrative. But like, <laughs> what, one what is has left? died. There is <laughs> <Right>. only Peter. <laughs> <laughs> But what kind of journey do you think Anne goes on, number one goes on throughout this play to end the play as Peter Pan? Well, let's start that conversation uh, through this one, which is, I think, the only real candidate for protagonist or mm. uh, uh, central character journey is one, right? Absolutely. The play is yeah. written for Sarah Rule's mother. This is the character that represents Sarah Rule's mother. She's Peter Pan. She's the oldest and the leading one. She's also the one that it just feel. I mean, this is not a great argument, but it just feels like the play is about her. Yeah. <laughs> she's I mean, got she the delivers prologue the prologue. The yeah. Yeah. 
So <laughs> I, I think that she is the protagonist. There's maybe an argument for it being a group protagonist, and and that that has some real merit. But let's say that you know one is the journey through this play. So what journey is she on? Well, what are some of the interesting things that happened to her along the way, right? In losing her father, she has this uh, this internal pain that relates it to other deaths that she's known in her life. She brings up the loss of her husband, but also, you know, they're, they're talking about whether or not to give their father more morphine. And she remembers the feeling of giving her their childhood dog drugs to, to cause the dog to die. And that causes her some internal pain as this death becomes associated with the other deaths in her life. That would potentially be one of the first things that happens to her. I wonder if one of the other things she starts to feel throughout the play is the loss of the uh, loss of the linchpin of the family and and uh, as the father and and later on the house as this central ground around which the family pivots um and and you know the 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 wondering of who's going to pick up this the, the reins of like trying to hold this 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 weird little uh, family values group together as one of the characters uh, refers to later on throughout in the play and and to that even to to add the answer of well I'm just never going to grow up and become Peter Pan um, I think Anne is going through that that question do I how how do we continue to grow up through this There's even a uh, line. I forget who says it now. Again, they're all numbered. But one of them says we're orphans now. Yeah, that's five. She, uh, five, I don't know. It, it's a little bit stereotypical, I think. But the character's so beautifully rendered that you almost don't care. But five is sort of the emotional one. She's She feels things very deeply for the family. She's constantly trying to avoid conflict. And then when they all get in a political debate near the end of Movement 2, Five basically says, you're all drunk. This is ridiculous. Why are we talking about this? We're orphans now. Yeah. And that's an interesting... I find that to be such a poignant sentence because she's not a ki- kid, you know? Right. I mean, you don't think about adults being orphans when you when you're mm-hmm. an adult person and you lose your parent. You don't think about associating the word orphan with that type of person. It's another fascinating uh, uh, juxtaposition for us in this play. Um, that the, the, the play is filled with those, and the, and it's just another one. You, I agree. You don't think of. You know, when you lose a parent at a at an older age, that suddenly you're orphaned in the world. But it's it carries that weight. I mean, maybe you're not you know orphan annieing around town, but still, like your parent is gone. So so I think I love that moment. It really brings it home, makes it present, makes it uh, kind of tangible. Uh, for, for for the audience in that moment. Yeah, so, so some of the other things that happen to one. She's reminded in movement one of the way that she used to play Peter Pan and especially and perhaps, you know, quote-unquote inciting incidentally, I'm not sure this play really has one of those in a, in a traditional linear sense, um, but she's reminded of when she was a child and she was playing Peter Pan, the fact that her father would come to every performance, how much he loved her playing Peter Pan, and she's reminded of this on the eve of his death by this home movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 then the rest of the family corroborates it for her. Like they 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 through throughout the I think the wake even they bring it up a couple times about how much that that play meant to to specifically their father, and their father is uh, kind of talked about as this 
you know, this this person who believed he had pulled himself up by his own bootstraps out of the depression and a kind of a distant person at times. And so that that uh, that attachment kind of amplifies uh, that 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 uh, pride that he took in her being Peter Pan in the play amplifies throughout the play. And then at the end of movement one, as George dies, one who we don't know yet is a devout atheist, but we learn later it, one leads the other group of siblings kind of out of the blue uh, in a prayer, you know, a prayer over their dead father, a liturgical prayer over their father who's just passed. So that's an important thing that happens in her development because in Act 2, much of the discussion is religious. Yeah. Yeah, they kind of break the, the cardinal rule of family, which is great. Uh, they talk about religion <laughs> and politics and their fears. <laughs> like that's again, this is like a, a healthy family and it's crazy to watch it on a stage. But um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, they, they they talk a lot about religion and, and their own views of afterlife and and what they're fearing about it as they're, as they're getting close. One of the characters uh, talks about how they just don't think about it at all and that it's like, you know, you you, you won't be thinking about it when you're dead, so why are you thinking about it now? <laughs> so and, and they contrast these views back and forth across the table. Yeah, so they have this debate, discussion about death and the afterlife and how faith might be associated with that. Um, the other thing that they have a debate and a discussion about that ends up being important is when you felt like you were a grown-up now. You know, after the eve of their, the, this group of siblings have lost, this is the wake, I'm sorry, not the eve of, but the, after the wake of losing their final parent, they're without parents now, they have this discussion about what it means to grow up. When did you decide you were grown up? And, and some really poignant things are brought up, but it, then this association is built between growing up and dying. Mm-hmm. So that's, I mean... That's a lot of what she's kind of uh, wading through throughout this play. Anne is is uh, needing to face a lot of things, uh, and 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 kind of look them in the eye within the with with within the group of her family, and her whole, her whole family is there with her. So then, <laughs> it's interesting to then have such kind of a disassociative scene. As the, as the end point of all of this stuff, the you know, this imagination scene. Yeah. If this play were differently written, this is sort of an empty thing to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> if the play were differently written than it is, uh, or less well-written than it is, I might accuse Sarah Rule of uh, choosing not to pay off the tensions and fears and dilemmas and internal journeys that have been building <laughs> so beautifully. Movements one and two, and even the prologue, are incredible. They're mm -hmm. amazing pieces of theater. I'd love to act them, and I don't do much acting anymore. <laughs> I mean, they're just that good that they make you want to be involved. And then movement three, it, it I, I, you you could make the accusation that this that 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 rule has made the decision not to pay that off somehow that uh, I, you know for whatever reason some other rule plays I do feel that about. Uh, mm. I don't feel that about this play, despite all of what I've just said, which is <laughs> why it was all very empty, and you should have just right, skipped right. it. But you're here now. Um, I don't feel that about this play, Jackson. Do you? No, and I think feel is the right word because the 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 last the last scene it feels like the payoff somehow. Um and I think it's because there's li there's little things that blip up 
throughout the scene that call you th- throughout movement three that call you back to movement two that uh, remind one. you. Yeah, yeah. Th- uh, that remind you that these characters are still these people to some degree. And that's why it's kind of this wishy-washy thing in my head, because I'm flowing back and forth between dream state and uh, past uh, action throughout the play. Like over and over, they bring up little pieces like the panic attack from traveling that Peter Pan has. And you're reminded gout that these are- in your foot that causes yeah. you to move, be, you know, be painful that they can't walk, that they have to walk Neverland. The fact that they have to walk to Neverland. Right. One yeah, of the yeah. earliest clues that something like this is going to occur is when Peter finds his shadow, Wendy says, oh, here's a needle and thread. I can sew it back on. And one who's playing Peter says, I can sew it back on. I know how to sew. And Wendy kind of looks at, mother taught me how to sew. I can sew it back on. And Peter says, mother taught me how to sew. I can sew it back on. And Wendy says, you don't have a mother, Peter. You're Peter Pan. You don't know how to sew. She goes, oh, right. You're right. (laughs) Yep, yep. Don't know how to sew. Yeah. So, so I think there's a lot of that. It's a, it's, it's a fun, playful scene. But what it does is it, I, 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 th- this is a messy way to say it, but it's just it feels like it pays it off at the end. Well, <laughs> it I feels think it, like you're it, in the space. It pays it off because it's magic. Because it's magic, right? And and lots of people feel this about lots of what Sarah Rule writes. Uh, for me, well, the one we've talked about last time, Dead Man's Cell Phone, is is one of the first Sarah Rule plays that I was like, wow, this play is magic. Sarah Rule has accomplished something magic with the script. This play is my favorite Sarah Rule play I've read or mm. experienced in any way. And it's because it's magic. It's right. really in magic. And the magic is these 60-year-old, 70-year-old, 50s, 60s, whatever, how old they are, these old people, these grandparents are dressed in outfits from Peter Pan yelling about how they don't want to grow up. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've said it, I said it earlier when we were talking about the same thing. It's magic. That is a magic thing to see on the stage. Yep. And 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 then consistently you get to see the magic continue to happen there. There's a scene where one of them says, I'm fighting a pirate. I'm fighting a pirate. This is awesome. Um, uh-huh. There's a scene where they're, they're, they fly and they take off and everyone finally ends up flying. We talked about how they couldn't get there flying, uh, but eventually all the characters end up flying and they fly over their hometown. And that that's part is is marveled at in kind of childish delight from these characters, which makes the, the, the fall, the come down that much more poignant when they all say, oh no, I have to go Home. Right, and and Sarah Rule brings us back around, right? It's not just that these are old people playing Peter Pan. It's that it's this group of siblings, and they've lost something. Something has changed and is moving on in their lives, and you see them come to their childhood home, realize that they collectively have already in the past decided to sell it when their father died, and so they can't go in anymore. And that that's sort of an object negotiation with the world, right? That mm-hmm. we can no longer have this thing because life has changed and you see them have to give it up. And you see them choose not to be Peter Pan anymore. That they they like the life that they're in. Like we said, that the moment where they choose to grow up is not, I have to go back to the freaking world. <laughs> they're, they're choosing the life that they've built for themselves. I, I, I highlighted it earlier, but I want to highlight it again. Number two says, I want to go back to my wife. We want to grow old together. How poignant is that line in the context of Peter Pan? I want to yeah. go back to my wife. We want to grow old together. Mm-hmm. Which makes... Anne's choice to stay Peter Pan 
to stay Peter Pan and to stay doing theater. Just that that that, that it, it adds that extra weight to that decision as well to have those those four other siblings choose and and be valued for their choice to go back to their families. I I don't sense any less uh kind of beautiful glory in that last epilogue scene for her choosing to hang out in a theater and 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 play where she doesn't have to grow up. Right. And it, it's sort of a return to the theater because one, it, she was an actress at one point in her life, but she went on to get a doctorate in rhetorical theory. I think we assume she's a professor. And so we don't, she's not a professional actress by any means. Perhaps she's well known in the community theater scene and that would be awesome. But I, I think that part of doing the Peter Pan play and then this moment at the end is her returning to the magic of this world where she was playing this never grow up character and now she's grown up but she maintains that in her heart somewhere this this essence of peter pan that carries her maybe through death into whatever the afterlife is yeah to 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 her father who is still watching her plays somehow right well and of course <laughs> you know to return to the death argument the father says you can go home now mother's waiting for you she's made you checks mix i mean that's uh-huh. very afterlife sort right. of language <laughs> yep it's like also very very iowan language too yeah. but yeah <laughs> your mom made checks mix you want to come home to heaven <laughs> Well, that's all the time we have for this episode, folks. <laughs> this is just such a beautiful play. We, we, I love, I love the names we come up for stuff, stuff in plays, and I think Rulian magic is probably my new favorite term that we, that you have dubbed so far. We haven't talked about this one yet, but if you want a great sense of Rulian magic, read her play "Late a Cowboy Song." That play is how that play works doesn't make any sense at all. It's just magic. It's but it magical. works somehow. It's a great anyway. Uh, as always, we didn't talk about everything. We didn't spend hardly any time on George as a ghost, which that's right. fascinating. Through there's movement a live two, dog. Yeah, there's a dog. Uh, through <laughs> movement too, as they're having this, you know, their debates and drunken arguments and uh, lovely, touching, poignant uh, thought stuff. George as a ghost is just like living in the house, eating things and going to the bathroom, yep. and he brings their <laughs> old family dog who's died on stage at one point. He like. Also, they, like, hear him. Like, he's a ghost that in some ways interacts with the world. We didn't have time to reflect much on that, but that's a fascinating part of this play, too. And yeah. it's there's just so much. And There is. <laughs> this yeah. is, I just loved this play. I, I didn't know what we were getting into. I we, we picked it for the programming because it was one of the newer rule plays, and it had been getting some great reviews. And, uh, man, what a treat. What a great, yeah, I agree. What a great, sh- what a great show, and it's a fast read. So I can't highly, I cannot recommend it enough that you go ahead and pick up this this play and and get and watch this play if you see it near you. And when you do, if you pick up on some of the themes that we did not have time to talk about, you should find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, and continue having the conversation with us. Uh, we'd love to keep having this conversation with you. So find us on all of those uh, social media sites. Uh, username is at NoScriptPodcast. You can also find us at Gmail, uh, no uh, NoScriptPodcast at gmail.com. Find us anywhere that on any of those sites. We'd love to keep talking to you. And if you've liked this episode or any of our 
our other episodes, please tell people about it. Share them on your social media. Tell people where to find it. We, we've just so awestruck that our listenership continues to grow and you can help us grow even more. Uh, for those people that you're trying to direct our way, they can find us on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Podbean, where we're hosted. But one of the easiest ways to find us, for us old folks that still use Facebook, we post a link to the new episode every week on Facebook so you can find it there. Yeah, so until you see that link next week when we're coming at you with another play, I am Jackson Nikolai. I am Jacob Mann Christensen. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you next time. See ya. See ya.